Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning into the Liberty Report. With us today, Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you this morning. Good morning, Dr. Paul. How are you this morning? Doing well, All doing right. well. There's Excellent. still a couple problems we have to solve here. We can't look, take a look rest. Into it. Yeah. No rest. And uh, I think there's a lot of people who are very interested in solving problems, but very confused on what's going on. One item in the news, which is big news, and it's gotten coverage uh, both on social media as well as the real media, but it was a little bit of spinning. And that has to do with what's going on with these uh, Russians and the Chinese. And uh, I think most people in this country uh, believe they're our enemy. They're two enemies, and what, what are they up to? Are they going to gang up on us? Yeah. And some are saying, well, no, um, I think we've contained Russia. We've spent a couple you know, hundred and some billion dollars yeah, saving things. Ukraine. So we're not worried about Russia at this moment, but we are very, very worried about the Chinese. And there's a little bit of Chinese bashing going on. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, uh, there goes those Chinese and, and uh, Russians just marching off on their own, not even checking with us. And we didn't get invited. And uh, Biden didn't say a word. Yeah. So, but the Chinese and the Russians got together to talk about international events and how they can work together and and who who knows they might even think about how to spend the money they've accumulated you know the, the, the yeah. Chinese are pretty the Chinese are pretty good at it yeah. and uh, who knows what the uh, Russians saw the other day though the statistic that a lot of people forget about the country that has the most natural resources in the whole world is Russia yeah yeah and yet sadly they have gone through hundreds of years of never becoming libertarian <laughs> in manufacturing where in, the, in our country at least we had a good start we had a good start with our constitution and there has been a lot of development uh, even though we fear the fact that that's going to be lost but we don't see any uh, whole lot of uh, benefit to us uh, you know, with what Russia and China is doing. I mean, it may turn out badly. It may be a benefit. But uh, our, our, our responsibility, as I see it, is to talk more about what does that mean for us? Should we have been there? Could we be there? And how can we have better relationship? Because right now, today, if a president is so bold to uh, sit down and uh, invite some of, some of these people over here to have a conversation, uh, they could be in big trouble. Yeah. I mean, you, we're not supposed to deal with them because they have been uh, ruled out of order. And uh, and yet today, there's there's something special going on because it's not exactly what they do on a routine basis. Back in the uh, 60s and the 70s, you know, the, the Russians and uh, the Soviet and China worked together, but there was a, dis a split. Yeah. And I, I remember the, the time back then when the split was the history, but this is the opposite of that. This is the coming together uh, of, of, a, of a distance they held between the two, each other. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, significant, but uh, we uh, don't know exactly what it'll be like tomorrow or the next day. Yeah, it's a big meeting. I mean, it's a three-day meeting between Xi Jinping who was just re-elected an unprecedented third time to be premier of China. Uh, he will have uh, ran China, uh, the only person who ran China longer in the modern era was Mao Zedong. So he's got an unprecedented number, a level of power, and he goes to Moscow for a full three-day summit. 
Now, he and Putin on yesterday had an informal talk for four and a half hours. <laughs> I don't know how you do that. And then he met earlier today with the prime minister of Russia. And then they move into the formal section of their talk uh, later on. They've probably, they're already doing that now, obviously, because they're ahead of time. So it's a massive meeting, a three-day meeting again, as you say. Um, and the, the U.S. media, of course, is very centered on Ukraine, and so they're saying that the whole thing is, is about Ukraine. It's not. It's, this summit is about deepening ties between Russia and China, something, as you say, that would have been thought unprecedented uh, back, especially in the Nixon era, where Nixon had, had the you know, intelligence to go over there and try to be friendly with China and open the door to China. Well, of course, we've been doing the opposite since then. And you can really contrast the diplomacy if you watch how it was when she arrived, uh, how he was treated, how they've talked. I mean, compare that and contrast that with modern American diplomacy, which ironically mirrors the old Soviet diplomacy toward its own satellites, which is, we say jump, you say how high. And it was just a couple of weeks ago when the U.S. administration was shaking its finger at China saying, you better not give a single weapon to Russia. Don't you sell a single thing. And meanwhile, we've given hundreds of billions of dollars worth of weapons to Ukraine. <coughs> so the, the hypocrisy is out there in the open. But this is a, a very, very important meeting because it signifies the deepening of a relationship between two extremely powerful nations. As you point out, the one, Russia, which is gifted with unbelievable natural resources, and the other, China, which has been very successful in developing its economy, even though, as you also point out, not necessarily along a free market line, but probably more free market <laughs> than we are these days, but nevertheless. So the marriage of these two really should spell trouble to the U.S., but the U.S. is, you know, oblivious to these, apparently oblivious to these fundamental changes in the world. Well, I do think our foreign policy fundamentally has contributed to the need for these two countries to get together. And you've mentioned a few of these things. I mean, just the whole idea that we depend on sanctions, you know, do this, do that, yeah. and we'll, or we'll put sanctions on you. We do it wholesale with uh, Russia and, and, and the Chinese, but it, it's amazing that, uh, you know, Russia got around all their sanctions against the oil. The oil yeah. gets out. And, and they're they, richer. <laughs> and they were able to sell more oil, and the, and the oil shortages weren't nearly as bad as people expected. But, of course, our bombs are being used too, too readily. Uh, right now they're being used in Ukraine, but we used them, uh, you know, around the world, uh, you know, in targeted killings that we've used. Uh, and uh, we, we, we throw our weight around. We're, from their viewpoint, we're a bunch of bullies. And uh, also, I think what's helping them feel motivated is who, who's going to pick up the pieces when our bankruptcy accelerates and when the dollar becomes less the universal currency, the reserve currency of the world. And I think, you know, the way we uh, bail out the banks and all and the deficit we have, I, they must sit and say, yeah, it's amazing. They're pulling it together and people are still using the dollar. But ultimately, we're going to prepare for this. And I don't know, but my guess would be if they had any sense, if the Russians and the Chinese are talking, they would be talking about monetary policy as well. Yeah. And as you well point out, I mean, the, the, the Russia is selling more oil, it's making more money, it's developing relationships with Saudi Arabia, it's trading with the Saudis in non-dollar denominations, <laughs> yeah, so breaking the dollar hegemony, you know, where the U.S. approach to foreign policy is, as you say, sanctions, pushing people apart. But I would say one very early huge success, and I don't know if it was planned, if it wasn't planned, 
it's a pretty good win on the side of Russia and China, which is to wrong foot the U.S. and to make the U.S. government look as if it does not want peace in Ukraine. And they've put them on their back feet because, as you know, Dr. Paul, we talked about it on the show, China put forth a position paper outlining kind of in general broad terms what a peace negotiation might start to look like in Ukraine. And the U.S. rejected it immediately because it came from the Chinese. And so now the two of them are meeting and the U.S. can only respond by saying, we don't like this. <laughs> and actually we have a clip in, uh, uh, of course, as usual, Tucker Carlson captures it perfectly. Here's a short clip from his show last night uh, explaining and showing John Kirby, the spokesman of the National Security Council, saying, you know, we don't like this. We don't, we, we don't want the war to end. If we can get that queued up, that'd be, um, I forget the first minute and 15 or whatever seconds of that, of that uh, video clip. Here, here we go. Let's full screen that. Let's rewind that and full screen it. Yeah, there we go. As predicted, the Biden administration's reckless interference in the war in Ukraine has pushed China together with Russia, thereby ending for all time American global dominance. And as if to rub it in our faces, the president of China, President Xi, met with Vladimir Putin in Moscow today. He went there in part to broker a ceasefire in the conflict. You can be opposed to Russia and China getting together, but if you care about Ukraine, you probably want this war to end. But this administration wants to keep it going. Here's spokes flack John Kirby explaining. If they call for a ceasefire, you believe Ukraine should and will reject that? Yes, we do, and we would uh, reject it as well. We think that that's an unacceptable outcome right now. Uh, obviously, we want the fighting to stop. We want the war to be over. And as I said, it could end today if Mr. Putin would do the right thing. But to call for a ceasefire right now basically ratifies what they've been able to grab inside Ukraine and gives them time and space uh, to prepare for future operations, and that's just not going to be acceptable. Right. So this is the second time the Biden administration has stopped any attempt to end the war, negotiated and not immediate frozen in place, but trying to so end it. It's the second time. There. Here you have John Kirby, spokesman of the National Security Council, saying it's not the time to call for a ceasefire. Well, he's not in the trenches bleeding and dying right now, and it's pretty cynical to suggest that. You know, what is strange about uh, Biden being so bo so bold with his statement, no, we don't, we don't want, we're not ready for this. We don't want him to even talk about it. Traditionally, two countries who are in a bitter struggle are always wanting to be seen as the peacemaker. Yeah. That's still considered, you know, a, a, a more decent image and saying, no, I don't want to have anything to do with this. Keep the war going. So that, that to me is, is a change. But the uh, whole, whole, whole thing is, though, that uh, pe people realize that uh, now more than ever that we're not in the business of peace. Yeah. We're in the business of war. And, uh, and, but that reflects the fact that we have an empire attitude and we want to maintain it. We do want the dollar to be the strongest. We do want to remain the strongest military. And in doing that, you have to pretend that you're the uh, most decent country in the world, always uh, always working for peace. And now they've thrown that aside. Yeah. And it really, I think, uh, you know, in, in the long term, which might be weeks or months, uh, I think our image is going to be further diminished. Yeah, I think so, too. Well, let's put on this next clip because it's from Real Clear Politics, and it's just an example because Blinken also has said 
quote, this is our, state, our Secretary of State Blinken, the world should not be fooled by any tactical move or ceasefire proposal by Russia supported by China. So again, it's almost smacks of desperation, Dr. Paul, where the U.S. says, don't be fooled by them, don't be fooled by them, don't believe us. But this is the second time, at least, that we know that the U.S. and its allies have stepped in and prevented a ceasefire. And we know this from Naftali Bennett, the former uh, Israeli prime minister who said, hey, I was working toward peace. We had a deal on the table. It looked like they were going to sign it. This was back in last April, almost a year ago. And the U.S. and the U.K. jumped in and said, no, you can't do that. So the second time they've got in the way of peace. And in the meantime, even though Zelensky likes to talk a tough game, well, he's also seeing a bigger picture and seeing the fact that his country is being ripped apart. Put on this next one, because here is Zelensky's response to the Chinese proposal to begin peace. He said, Zelensky wants Xi Jinping meeting following China's peace plan. And that was last month. And then here's from uh, Politico, I think it is today, if we can put this next one up. Call me anytime. Zelensky plays the long game with Xi Jinping. He's basically sitting around saying, please give me a call. I want to talk to you. We're waiting for you. And Xi is, hasn't called yet. And do the next one if you can, because this is, um, now this is Kirby again. He called the Russia-China relations a marriage of convenience, not affection. It's, <laughs> it's a weird way of talking about this. It's almost like a jealous, uh, scorned courtier, you know, saying that he doesn't really love Putin. It's just a marriage of convenience. It just all smacks of desperation. Yeah, to me, it'll be interesting to see what happens with a Biden administration. Who knows how it would change with uh, Trump in. But Biden's administration is saying, no, we wouldn't want any part of it, which suggests what in the world is he doing? You're supposed to at least pretend. But, you know, our whole uh, arrival on the international front, I, I, th I think, occurred in 1917 when we, uh, Wilson weaseled our yeah. way into the war was over. He wanted to just deal up the pieces. He wanted to help write the, you know, the the uh, peace treaty. But here we're rejecting that, and I don't believe for a minute that they think that that they're going to divide up the world and set the stage here uh, with, without the United States doing something, or at least somebody's going to be motivated because there's still a lot of hawks in yeah. there, and there's a combination of, of uh, you know, the neocon Republicans and the progressive uh, sellouts. Yeah. They, they're working together. <clears throat> That's why we've heard some more criticism of Biden by by the progressive. Yeah. And, and, but I think there's going to be this so-called pragmatic demand that we participate. How can we do this? We we did it in World War One. We grabbed hold of things and participated. But look at what we were able to do after World War Two. Uh, we helped divide up the world, and and uh, we, we uh, decided the reserve currency of the world was be the dollar because we had already taken all the gold. Yeah, so, uh, exactly. So then this uh, this will be. Uh, I don't think. I guess my point is. Uh, I don't think that the United States will remain complacent and, uh, and just go along with this, even, you know, because maybe they say, fine, you guys don't want to participate. We don't even want to talk to you again. Yeah. But uh, something is going to stir to, to put us in, in, involved in, in these negotiations one way or the other. Who knows what they might try. Yeah. Well, another aspect of this visit that's interesting in the U.S. maneuvering, manipulating along with its allies is this whole International Criminal Court indictment. Remember that happened yeah. three days ago. Uh, Putin was indicted for kidnapping kids 
Um, the sole report that it was based on was funded by the State Department, and they did no investigation. They only looked at Twitter for their evidence, so very sketchy. But, you know, the, the, the Xi-Putin summit was known for quite some time, so I don't believe it's any coincidence that the ICC arrest warrant came out just three days before. And here's my Exhibit A for that conspiracy theory. Put this up. This is the New York Times, what they're saying. As Xi and Putin meet, U.S. assails diplomatic cover for crimes. Just three days after the ICC accused Putin of war crimes, President Xi Jinping arrived in Moscow for a state visit. So it makes both of them look bad, and she is coddling war criminals, is what it says. <coughs> but if you dig a little deeper, Dr. Paul, you don't have to spend a lot of time doing it. Well, what's the, what's the ICC, as we talked about yesterday? No one recognizes it. We don't even recognize it, but we <laughs> feed it information. So how do they get funded? Are, are they independent? What's going on? Well, I did like literally three seconds of digging, and if you can put this up, this happened just a couple of days ago. Millions in extra funding pledged for ICC work in Ukraine. Oh, who's pledging it? Let's do the next one. The ICC is funded by justice ministers from over 40 countries <laughs> met in London to pledge another $4.5 million to support the ICC in its investigations into alleged war crimes. So breaking it down, Dr. Paul, the U.S., the U.K., our European allies fund the ICC and they tell the ICC who they need to indict. And that's why they only indict the enemies of the so-called West. Uh, so the whole thing smells a little fishy. Maybe Biden was motivated a little bit uh, because he's uh, working on that contract he made with the military industrial complex <laughs> because, you know, they're getting ready and it may be on, uh, on, on its way. No, 350 is that billion or million, I guess? Only so, million. Yeah, That's so, chump change. Oh, yeah. So $350 million, and that would be inconsistent if they say, oh, we're in part of the peace treaty. Well, why are you sending more weapons yeah. to them? Yeah. And uh, so maybe after the money gets there or the American people say, because there is a building resistance in the Congress not to keep sending money yeah. over there, and maybe the resistance will be there, then uh, Biden will have to take another 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 step or change his ways because they, they think that... Uh, uh, we're, we're, we're not going to have much to say about it. It's under the circumstances working, and uh, that's that's fine. That wouldn't be too bad. But I wish we just quit spending any money on it. Yeah. Spend spend the money at home by returning money to the taxpayer. Yeah. <laughs> that's my idea. <laughs> you know, I watch a lot of things pro-Ukraine, pro-Russia. I want to get a bigger picture. I was watching a pro-Russia Telegram channel. And they talked about this, as you say, we can even put that up, that another $350 million for weapons for Ukraine. And what they did is they just juxtaposed that with some video from one of the inner cities. After, maybe it was Chicago, who knows, but it could be anywhere. And it's just this person walking with a phone camera down the streets of this, and everyone is on drugs. They do that thing where they're, I guess it's fentanyl or whatever that makes you lean over. And I mean, dozens, hundreds of people just passed out on the street and it just I mean I think that's going to resonate with people look our cities are falling apart we are in, you know broke our banks are failing yet somehow and we can put that next one up in 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 the middle of all of this collapse of our economy actually go back one or go forward one if you can there we go US announces 350 million in weapons package for Ukraine as you point out Dr. Paul more weapons more weapons but here's something else that Dave DeCamp dug up in this piece, and it's kind of interesting. If you put the next one on, uh, go ahead. From that piece, now here, 
is a rare admission of truth, Dr. Paul. Truth does get out. He says the new package comes after a Pentagon official told the New York Times that upcoming ammunition shipments were part of a, quote, last-ditch effort to help Ukraine. Now, we've been told for the past year that Ukraine is winning. How does that square with this is a last, this is a Hail Mary pass for Ukraine? Well, one of the arguments that's going to come up, and in a way it has already to, to a slight degree, and that is we need more help here. We need help at the borders. And uh, there, there are no policemen around. You know, yeah. Black Lives Matter and Antifa, they run the show and they don't get arrested or charged or what, whatever. But now now there's there's ex excitement up in New York because Trump has to march in and people are <laughs> anticipating that we're going to see him put handcuffs on Trump. Yeah. You know, yeah. that sort of thing. And so they say there are <laughs> New York's advertising for some policemen. <laughs> but they all they all left. I mean, a lot of them left yeah. because they, they were sick and tired of, you know, the harassment and the defunding of the police and the blaming the blaming the police for all of this and the so, four shots the forced jabs too remember yeah, yeah oh that's vaccines. right and yeah. of course that all that even goes over into they haven't settled that in the military yet either yeah, that, yeah. that's still a tragic <laughs> circumstance well i'm going to just take a moment to thank our sponsor fourpatriots.com and listen we know this the chinese are no dummies they're net importers of food they've got a lot of people to feed they're hoarding food and they know something that we don't know probably but americans can fight back in their own way by taking care of their own families. And one great way to do that is to go click on 4 and get yourself a three-month survival kit. That's their most popular package. It's all you need to eat for a family for three months, breakfasts, lunches, and dinners. All you need is a little bit of water, put it in, and boom, you got breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Enter Ron for your 10% discount. Delicious looking food. If you order over $97, it'll come to you free, and it will come in very sturdy containers that can be stored for, I believe, up to 25 years. So be ready. Follow the smart things the Chinese are doing, which is making sure they have enough food, uh, and go to 4Patriots.com, click in, Ron, and get your discount. Well, the last thing we want to talk about today, Dr. Paul, is an unhappy anniversary, and mm. that is 20 years ago this week. Despite all of the efforts by you, Dennis Kucinich, and a handful of great people on Capitol Hill, did not stop the Iraq War, and it broke out 20 and years ago. It, it was a date you would probably remember, even for other reasons. It's about that time, or shortly before that, you arrived in the nick of time. <laughs> you were just coming on the staff there, and you saw us through that thing, and we worked hard, and uh, because because it lingered. It, I don't know whether well they had to deal with uh, <laughs> you know somebody else, but they were still building up the case, you know, to go into Iraq and. Uh, they they did this and uh, and but it took them a long time. You know, the 9/11 was in September, uh, a year and a half before, and they didn't go into Iraq until uh, 2003. So that makes it a 20-year anniversary. But uh, there was a lot of ups and downs, but most of them were downs and a lot of death and destruction. And guess what? We achieved though. We brought the world together. We made sure that Iraq who were, believe it or not, reasonable people compared yep. to what we're dealing with now. And they, they, they all of a sudden, uh, they were able to, our policies were able to drive them to become good friends of the Iranians who are our arch enemies yeah. now, <laughs> and, and probably into that camp of Russia and, uh, Russia and China. 
So, uh, you know, you, we talk about backfiring uh, and, and, and having things happen th this way, it, that uh, it, it's not a surprise that things, things are much worse. But anyway, <clears throat> it, was it was 20 years and uh, unfortunately, uh, a wasted, a wasted 20, 20 years. I remember when it was starting, uh, uh, Pearl came on before our committee and uh, he, uh, he was promoting the war. And I said, how long will it be? How many people have to die because they were on the verge of the war starting? How many times, how many times will, uh, how many people have to die before you'll change your tune? Yeah. And if you recall, Daniel, he didn't give me much of an answer. No, he brushed you <laughs> it's off. It's forever, yeah. For, yeah. forever. Yeah. But nobody knows who Richard Pearl is today, and a lot of people know who Ron Paul is, so <laughs> that's the best revenge, um, is that people listen to what you say. Nobody listens to Pearl. Um, yeah, it's kind of funny. I, wanted to, I first wanted to go work for you, in a way, when I saw the U.S. indiscriminately bombing uh, Yugoslavia in 1999, and I was fortunate enough to be working for you when the U.S. also indiscriminately bombed Baghdad, and I remember watching those bombs hit, and I really, I, I may have actually started crying, but I certainly felt like it, seeing that city blown up, and those bombs, just hundreds and hundreds of them, you know, when we criticize Russia, and you know, rightly so, they're blowing up a lot of stuff over there, but I tell you what, when we hit Baghdad and we flattened these places, Fallujah flattened these places, it was just completely, completely awful, and I don't know if, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, what I was going to say, and policy has not changed. Yeah, it's not changed. We're still working with the same policy and uh, all the problems we have and all the spending. But I've argued the case, <clears throat> and in time, I will uh, believe it, it will come to pass that we're going to run out of uh, weapons and money and stamina and support from the American people, and we'll stop the nonsense. Yeah, and you know, remember that Saddam was was the next Hitler and everything, and I forget what article it was, I've been reading a lot about the 20-year anniversary, but someone pointed out that in reality, Saddam was semi-retired. He was writing a romance novel at the time <laughs> that he was bombed, and he just couldn't believe that the U.S. would attack him. He literally, he didn't believe when they said, you're going to get hit, you're going to get hit. No, I'm not. They're not going to do that. And there they go. Um, well, well, he had reason to be because <laughs> when the Iranians were fighting the Iraqis, he was our we buddy. Were, he, he was on our side, <laughs> yeah, or exactly. we were on his side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, we should recommend if you um, put on that next clip, because there's a great piece, and we have it up on the Ron Paul Institute. We've reprinted it, but this is from our good friend Peter Van Buren, and he did something a couple of days ago. Iraq was 20 years ago today. That was on March 19th, and he talks about his great book, Remember We Meant Well, and that was the book that we, we actually contacted him and said, hey, can you come in and talk to our Thursday lunch group? Because he was there in the State Department, in the second part after the initial invasion in the reconstruction part and he looked at the stuff we were doing and the money we were throwing around he couldn't believe it so he kept notes and he kept his eyes open and his mouth shut and later on he wrote this book and exposed all the insane things that we were doing and of course he got kicked out of the state department for doing that but it's a great article and um in fact a couple of things if you can do the next one a couple of things i and this is a long uh, clip and i'm not going to read it but if you can but he talks about how Washington would determine some broad theme of the month, such as women's empowerment, aimed at the domestic American audience. And he said the theme would filter down to us at our level, and we were supposed to concoct some sort of progress, some sort of project on the ground that would follow the theme. And so he says it wasn't hard because corrupt organizations whose... Who's, um, arose like flowers from the desert to take our money. 
They were usually run by Tony Soprano-type warlords. The organization would morph in name alone as needed from local activist groups to NGO to entrepreneur, et cetera, et cetera. We give them full boxes of dollars. Um, and then this is the thing. Uh, we funded bakeries on streets without water. <laughs> we paid for plays on getting along with neighbors and threw money at all this because no one could find a match to just set fire to it directly. So he goes on and on. And the book is a great read about how we approach these things. But he did something in, <clears throat> in his book that I think is important and sometimes we forget because he emphasized, yes, after we do all this killing, and uh, I had a habit of trying to point that out before they start dropping the bomb, yeah. don't worry about it, we'll build it, we'll, we'll rebuild it. <laughs> and he points that out in Afghanistan, Iraq, and, and now what are we dealing with right now? We're already talking seriously about how, how many dollars it's gonna take yeah. to rebuild Ukraine. Yeah. You, you know, the insanity never ceases, but uh, the laws of economics will eventually have have it stop because because you just can't keep doing this. It's amazing though that it has continued, and <clears throat> and, and uh, I I think that we uh, uh, can't give up on the belief in non-intervention because it, it is the right thing to do, and uh, we do see uh, some uh, incremental changes in numbers of people that join us. And uh, like you mentioned one time in our program today, that the truth went out and the truth was pointed out. So. Uh, Yes, what else What else can we do? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. sometimes it feels like we're running uphill. But anyway, I'm just going to close up by thanking our viewers, reminding them, save the date. We're going to have tickets on sale for our June 3rd Houston conference. Same hotel, very nice hotel. We had a great time last year. I know, Dr. Paul, you enjoyed meeting with people. I always enjoy meeting with people. Uh, we'll get those tickets on sale, but mark June 3rd off in your calendar. It's a Saturday for the next RPI conference, and then I'll announce our summer conference uh, within the next day or two. Very good. And I'm going to close out by talking a little bit about the financing of these wars that are, are ridiculous and why do people go along with them and how do they finance them? Well, they tax some people, but there's not enough tax money out there to do it. Well, we can borrow some money and people will loan the money to the government and that's still not enough. But instrumentally, the thing that was absolutely necessary and it was known as way back in 1913, but especially after World War II, that if you're going to continue to do this, you have to have a monetary system where the world trusts the currency for the time being, and then the uh, license to print money at will for secret use in foreign policy or monetary policy or welfare policy uh, will be given, and that's how it's paid for. It's paid for through inflation. So the theory is, and the founders, I believe, understood this issue, don't allow a central bank, don't allow them to use anything other than gold and silver, and it will be a significant you know, policy that would help prevent these wars from being fought. And yet we continue to do it, but that is the end point. And the end point, I think we saw a little bit of that end point barging through, you know, with bank failures, but that's still very, very early on this. It's a, it's a friable system and they, they, the whole world can't be financed by the Federal Reserve. And right now we're seeing that, that even that is cracking as well as our foreign policy. I do want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.